<clears throat> YouTube always seems to catch me with my pants down. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of The Experience with Michael Aaron Cossers. You are here at the Saturday night chill session. Oh, the uh, color uh, lighting is very dark tonight. I don't know. It seems a little bit darker than usual. Hold on. Let me see if I can adjust some things here. Um, oh yeah. So I didn't do the Saturday afternoon mimosa today. Obviously, let me make sure this thing is on. You know, if you tune into any of the other, um, things that I put on this channel here, I was doing a, um, bollocks. I was doing a, um, a live play, um, on one of the uh, other episodes on this, this channel. And I forgot to turn my microphone on. And so for approximately, I don't know, 30 something minutes, I was just talk, 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 talk. Oh yeah. <clears throat> for those of you on the anger side, yes, we are doing this also on the YouTube side today for the Saturday night chill session since we didn't have a Saturday afternoon mimosa or yeah, I think that's what it's called. So anyways, <clears throat> busy doing a lot of different things today. Um, and then, of course, had the uh, podcast earlier today with the guys over at Q&A Holes. Very good show. Very fun. We had a very fun, interesting, amusing show today. Um, I was just going with the flow, as they say. So, um, what do you call it? But for tonight, well, I do have a special surprise for you. Yes, indeed. I did read some of Kingdom of Fear. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um... Very interesting open on Hunter's part, and uh, I don't know if y'all know how Hunter S. Thompson speaks, or spoke, or, or talked, but uh, how he oblayed, but he, um, if you read it in the voice that Johnny Depp gave him, I mean, I, I could do it in Hunter's voice also, I, you can go see his interviews, like, on YouTube and stuff like that, and just the, the way he talked, it was just, um... Anyways, if you read his writing in that voice, man, it's pretty interesting. Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, what I was trying to do was I was trying to, um, uh, you know, just relax into it a little bit. Um, I know you guys cannot hear the music in the background. Maybe people on the anchor side can. But, um, yeah, I have some, like... It's not binaural beats. I'm not a big fan of binaural beats, but um, something akin to that. Something that's like, you know, calming. Something like you might have heard like on the poetry readings. Uh, just that weird music. You know, um, music generally will help me if I'm like, mm, you know, like writing or drawing, but it just depends. When it comes to writing, I can be pretty picky about... Um, I can be pretty picky about, like, the aural, um, interference, like, I, like, sound drives me crazy when I'm writing, like, I can deal with people, I can deal with 
images, lights, but just like um, sound whenever I'm trying to think or write just drives me insane. I don't need it to be dead silent, but nothing obnoxious by any means. Anyways, um, so I actually put down in the title for today because I was going to put in the title Saturday evening chill session or Saturday night chill session, but I don't want the titles of the experience to get to um template so yeah um uh kingdom of fear uh the stand and shadow gate for those of you who don't know shadow gate is we'll talk about that in a little bit um but i wanted to talk first about the stand because incidentally <clears throat> whenever i was having my um live play session with um i play killing floor <laughs> um and that game is probably like the only game that i play but i mean i have other games on my system my console that you know i could play but um when i do play it's usually just killing floor um, I have live played actually about 20 episodes. I mean, if I play, usually I'll play like, I'll play like a session, like, I don't know, once, I used to do it more like maybe once or twice a week. Since I started live streaming my gameplay, um, I've done it probably like eh, 20 episodes in about, is it 20? I don't know. It's near 20 in about mm, three weeks or so so not every day um i mean if you like gameplay and you don't like you know people yammering away while they're playing then i wouldn't recommend that you watch mine but if you do enjoy hearing people just kind of like i don't know shoot the shit while they're playing games generally yeah, that's what i'll do um but anyways so what was i saying um oh yeah the one that i was talking for 30 minutes on mute <laughs> I was talking about uh, some of the shows that I enjoy to watch. Um, I enjoy watching um, uh, streaming services, of course. Um, I don't have Pedoflix, but my sister does. Um, I have HBO Max and I have Amazon. And um, I've downloaded some other ones, but like on my phone. But my phone is real messed up right now. And so basically... I don't get, uh, I can't really download anything right now on my phone. I can't, I can't upload anything on my phone at the moment. Um, sometimes apps just shut off on me. Uh, some, well, the phone doesn't shut off on me anymore. It's only done that once, four times. But anyways, um, so I saw the stand on Prime. Now, I don't remember if it was just Prime or if it was Stars. Um, I began watching American Gods because everyone has just declared it to be an amazing thing. Um, book by Neil Gaiman, uh, 2000, 2001. Um, I used to be a big Neil Gaiman fan back when I was a little gothic kid. And, uh, you know, Susie... Um, what do you call it? Sandman and his, uh, what was she? His niece or his, I don't know. His, I think it was his niece. Or, it was death. And then, um, what do you call it? Uh, Sandman used to be a really cool comic series. 
about this guy. I think his name was Morpheus. He was, um, uh, it was a very metaphysical, very, very metaphysical comic book. And then, of course, he also did Caroline or Coraline. Excuse me. I read that one also. And Stardust. I read that one also. That one was a really good book, too, even though it's just a retelling of another story. Um, but it's very well written. Um, movie was pretty good, um, as I recall. Uh, but yeah, Neil Gaiman. Um, the Stand, I watched it um, only because... I mean, I am not a fan of remakes. I was actually surprised that they had remade it. And I was surprised that they had remade it without too much pomp and circumstance. But I guess that's because it was very middle of the road. I mean, there was nothing special about it. It was really cool to see um, Las Vegas, uh, the new Las Vegas in a movie like that, you know, because... <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm not a huge... I wouldn't necessarily even call myself like a Stephen King fan. Like I respect the man for his body of work, yada, yada, yada. Watch it. Find out someday that he had ghostwriters like the whole time. That's kind of smart. That's kind of smart. A ghostwriter. Hmm. Anyways. So, um, as I was saying, when it came to The Stand, um, I'm not a huge Stephen King fan, wouldn't necessarily consider myself a fan. I think uh, the man's probably like a pedophile or something. And I think also that, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Stephen King. You remember that one time that he got hit by a car while he was walking his dog? That was a really weird time. Um, someone had said there was like some, I don't want to say conspiracy but what I would say is maybe like legend uh, that Stephen King got ran over by a car because some demon was mad at him or something like that. Um, but I've read The Stand one and a half times. And so since I'd read it um, and I also grew up up when the I was growing up when the first one came out and it was like a made for TV special and that was really good um for me as a child now no I mean he's a Molly Ringwall now it's okay <laughs> although I did like their Randall flag a lot better and their mother Abigail I don't know about no Whoopi Goldberg being mother Abigail I consider her to be another pedophile so, um, yeah, and other than that, she's just annoying, but, um, this one was, okay. it was okay. I wouldn't watch it again. I really did like the book, though. The book was good, even though it's like, you know, like, I don't know, over a thousand pages long. Um, but it's a good book. Um, The Stand, eh, you know, uh, there are other things I would watch on Netflix for Netflix first, <laughs> on Prime first. Um, even though this film is... Not film. Even though this series is directed by a pedophile. Um, I totally recommend it. And that would be The Tales from the Loop. What are you talking about? What do you mean, pedophile? Um, who am I talking about? I am talking about... What's her face? Um, Clarice. 
you know, Clarice. What's Clarice's name? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster's a bloody lesbian. Yes, the lesbian. Oh, I'm sorry. She's not a pedophile. She's a lesbian. I, I retract that statement. No, I mean, I don't know. Like, I hear Jodie Foster's caught up in that whole black hat, you know, situation over in Hollywood, like Helen Hunt and the rest of them. Tragedy. Please keep in mind that this, uh... <laughs> Uh, disclaimer, the Experience Podcast. No, the title of the show is not the Experience Podcast. The title of the show is The Experience with Michael Aaron Cosseris. And The Experience with Michael Aaron Cosseris is speculative fiction. Ha! Now I can say whatever I want to say, bitches. <laughs> But no, um, yeah, lesbian, pedophile. Um, okay, so Jodie Foster makes this series called Tales from the Loop, and it's actually really, really, really fucking good. And um, it's like, it's like, okay, some of y'all are gonna hate me for saying this because I really enjoyed the series. I think it's better than Black Mirror, and it doesn't even have anything to do with that whole conspiracy of the future that Black Mirror portrays in some of its episodes, when I think Black Mirror is grade A material. It might not be, it might not be Kabari beef, but it is grade A material, Kabari beef. <laughs> You know what Kabari beef is? Do you like orange chicken? Because Kabari beef... <laughs> I am not going to plug that communist restaurant unless they give me free panda for a whole year. But um, Kobe beef is what I meant. <laughs> okay. All right. So I would say, you know... You know that 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 is definitely grade A material, but Tales from the Fucking Loop is fucking good. Um, I am currently rewatching it again. Actually, I'm up to episode three again. Um, I can't really. I mean, it it does have future overtones, like it's it's science fiction. It's it's based on, it, well, from what I understand, the film is based on paintings that were done by some dude. Um, let me look them up while I'm talking to you here. So this way I have some credibility. But um, the paintings were done and they're, to me, I don't know. There's something very, um, not melancholy or noir, not noir, not at all. That's too heavy. Uh very melancholy, well, not too heavy, but too, too styled, very melancholy, very, um, I would have to say very much like, I can't describe it, nostalgic, nostalgic melancholia with a slight, and graceful appreciation for your own humanity. It's kind of how that show made me feel. It was a really good movie. I mean, good show. It's it's and and from what I understand, there's supposed to be more, and I don't know what else is going to happen in that show. It's not like Russian Doll. Now, Russian Doll 
is a show that came out on Pedoflix back when I had an account. And um, Russian Doll actually ended up being really good. It's funny. Um, it has the capacity to be something that's not like me because I mean, the gist of the storyline for Russian doll, if you haven't seen it is like the repetition of a day, like the whole series is just a days on repeat and she has to figure that out. And the way the story ends is perfect. I can't understand why they would continue it unless it's a continuation of her life from that point, which I could understand, but I don't, I mean, it would be interesting, don't get me wrong. She's funny, the characters are hilarious, but for what it was, this weird, like, metaphysical, science fictional, speculative, and also, what, what would another word be? It had its own period type. Like, the music, it had its own style. Like, it had really good music. Music that, like, is more to my taste. It had a kind of, like, uh, not morbid. It was cynical. Don't get me wrong. Not heavy cynic. But, I mean, clearly this woman was, mm, yeah, she's not, like, the brightest, you know, you know, starshine in the sky. Doesn't see life. Um, fully um, cup half full you know what I mean but it's still a good show and I just can't understand how they're going to repeat it especially if like the gist of the next show is the repetition of a day like no one's gonna want to see that they're just gonna ruin it really but anyways <clears throat> as I was saying Oh my goodness, I typed in Tales from the Loop and it said season two that came up automatically. So Tales from the Loop is an American science fiction drama television series developed and written by Nathaniel Halpern based on the art book of the same name by Swedish artist Simon Stalinhag. Oh, wow. See, I haven't dug this far into Tales of the Loop. Tales from the Loop. Now, this is just, oh my goodness. If you see, that is transcendent to me. That is transcendent artwork. Like someone totally, and it's also ekphrastic too. Someone totally wrote a stories and made a show out of paintings that were done. Wow. And oh my goodness. It's exactly like the show. Um... That's deep for me because this show touched me. It touched me in a it touched me in a way that something I'd watched and seen hadn't touched me in a while. And let's just say it rubbed me the right way. Um I really like that show. Oh my goodness. I have to buy this art book now. Um I have to buy this art book. Like I have to buy it. Like I have to get it. It's a really good show. And yes, Jodie Foster did direct it. You know, Clarice. Did I do that right? I don't know. I don't think I did. Here, let me get some water real quick. Okay. I didn't think I was going to talk about Tales from the Loop. It's a really good show. I cannot express enough to you but i mean if you're not the kind of person that likes to sit down and watch a show that doesn't have a whole lot of action or doesn't have a whole lot of i don't know 
I mean, it has its moments, but it's not that kind of show. It's not that kind of show. You know what I mean? Anyways, um, so the stand. What would you think about that kind of scenario? I mean, we've all kind of gotten over this whole apocalypse thing. I know I have. I don't see an apocalypse happening for this world. I think we're past that point. I think if an apocalypse were going to come, it would have come, you know, before 2015. Although, there had been rumor. There had been rumor that the, um, what was it? The Mexican flag? No, just kidding. Uh, There had been rumor that the... um, Mayan calendar was off by eight years. And so what was supposed to have happened in December of 2012 was supposed to have happened in December of 2020. And it didn't happen either that or it did. And we just didn't see it because we've already ascended past that point. You know, there's not going to be that kind of world oblivion. I'm sorry, mom. Mm. If anything's going to be a world oblivion, it's going to be forced vaccinations. And these forced vaccinations are going to come from this COVID bullshit. And we aren't even supposed to talk about COVID, but we'll see the spill about it for a little bit because, you know, the, we didn't even, we didn't even get to talk about this on the show tonight with Q&A-Holes podcast, but the president of Ghana came out and was, and, and apparently According to Magadon, he wasn't the only president. Several people from several people of note from around the world, nation leaders, national leaders. Um, I need to. I need to stop talking. No, um, several national leaders. They actually um, read a Rockefeller memorandum or something that was talking about. The whole plan for it It had everything from the lockdowns to how they were going to respond to the Wuhan market to to what to expect. Um, They're going to get what they deserve. I swear it's so interesting right now this time. Um, What time is this? What time is it? Um... Because it's like everything that needs to be put into the light is being put into the light. And depending, I think it really, I think, I think the intent of what is discovered in the light really depends on the reaction of the individual or the actions that are being put into the light. Does that make sense? Like... I guess I guess an easier way of saying what I just said is you can't judge a person's heart because where their actions might be questionable depending on who is beholding that action um the person's intentions may not align with the preconceived judgment that most people have 
of what action it is that Beholder is judging. If that makes sense. Um, well, anyways. Tales from the Loop is a really good show. <laughs> I really recommend it. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a huge television watcher. Uh, but Tales from the Loop, The Black Mirror, The Russian Doll. Those are definitely shows I would recommend. Um, and... The Stand, I wouldn't watch it again, probably. I loved seeing brand new Suave Vegas. Uh, I thought their interpretation of the Trash Can Man in this version was very interesting. Um, I thought it was a little bit truer to the book. And I, th I suppose it could be um, with the... Uh, with the um, uh, technology for graphics and stuff that they could do this time around um the herald guy was ooh this time around oh something that i thought was really funny and i don't know if you guys will think this is funny too but um so there's this one character his name is larry underwood larry underwood in the book um and in the movie is a rock star like he's a musician his his song comes out on the radio etc and the running joke for the entire story is that Larry Underwood, who is a white man, <laughs> um, has this song that everyone says to him, oh, yeah, it's that song that sounds like a black man that's singing. And I was like, ha! Well, in this edition of uh, The Stand, um, they go ahead and make Larry Underwood a black man. So I was like, ha! <laughs> I thought it was cool. I mean, he actually looked like a black guy named Larry that I used to date. I was like, oh my god, I get to see Larry this entire time. That's so silly. Um, but, uh, I mean, he was cute, but that's not the point. Um, what do you call it? Um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't decide if they were doing that whole racial thing that they do. Like, not the... It wouldn't be... What is it? Um... um what is this? They, what do they say when you can't dress like an Indian during Halloween? A cultural appropriation? Like, I didn't think it was like a cultural appropriation thing. The only way I was able to remember the, the, the phrase cultural appropriation is I had to think about that fucking um, Cher Rusical <laughs> cultural appropriation. Anyways, okay. So, um, Cher Rusical cultural appropriation. Yeah, I don't think it would be that... Um, to to say that they it felt more like it was making fun of it because in the book that's what it says it's everyone then he gets like you know frustrated or whatever it's not like a big thing but it's kind of like a running gag where it was like oh yeah you're that dude that sing i thought it was a black man or oh yeah you're that dude that you know but anyways and so that was interesting it's it's not like when you know they turn i don't know storm caucasian or something like that oh let's see if they do that huh now that we have a new regime in office and now that the whites are going to be the ones that are oppressed and not the blacks anymore, we should totally make Storm, Aurora Monroe from the X-Men, Caucasian because it's the right thing to do. And we can make her from South Africa and we can say that she was a little thief on the streets of South Africa 
in District 9 because, um, because uh, she escaped from the child sex trafficking rings as a little girl. And so she was a thief on the streets. And then she developed her mutant power and she met Gambit. Um, because if you didn't know, that is actually the way the story goes in the X-Men. He met Storm when she was like a 13-year-old thief. And he was an adult can- can- uh, Cajun thief. And he met her on the streets of Cairo. Um, and that's that was where Storm first appeared in the pages of Uncanny X-Men, issue number 260-something. I don't remember the exact number but I do own it Uh, anyways. But like, um, that's besides the point. So the stand, um, I want to go back to Las Vegas. I really do. Um, Vegas is fun. Um, I know I've told this story maybe once or twice. If you go, but if you go back to earlier videos on my channel, um, and for those of you on Anchor, because I'm simulcasting at the moment, um, that would be youtube.com slash users slash macasaris1111. I believe it's user, it's either plural or singular. It's youtube.com slash user slash macasaris, C-A-S-A-R-E-S, 1111. And then towards the like some of the earlier videos they're from like god i don't think they're eight years old were we 2021 no it's like it's like two to three years old maybe four um i went to vegas and i did some um live stream in vegas from uh i did like a tour i did a tour in vegas of some of the places where i um uh wrote in my book the distance to the end so like for example there's a scene in the distance to the end where there's a shooting in the excalibur casino and it happens at one of the entrances happens at the entrance to one of the uh, bridges that i think it's the bridge between um excalibur and luxor and right at the entrance to that bridge there's a shooting so because of that shooting it moves the story along like that's the reason why i put the shooting in the book so the main character i believe is leaving a bar from i think he's leaving a bar from the what is the name of that hotel uh it's one of the hip ones um it's right next to the vidara the cosmopolitan I think he's leaving from the Cosmopolitan, heading across to the Excalibur and back to the Luxor, something like that. Anyway, at some point he's in the Excalibur and the the shooting occurs. And so he has to run back um, to his hotel room, which is at Planet Hollywood. And uh, I think when that happens, he walks in on his boyfriend getting... Getting an Eiffel Tower from two guys in Vegas while in a drug haze. Yeah, it's that kind of a story. So, um, I went to that spot in the Excalibur. And I'd like a little like, hey, this is the scene. And um, 
the thing about it is that story actually happened. Like there was a lover's quarrel um, that took place uh, at that same entrance at some point in sometime between, I don't know, maybe 15 and 18, 2015 and 2018. And um, yeah, so... Uh, I, I just, you know, it, I got the idea from there for that. And I was like, oh, you know, like, because that did happen. Um, so I wanted to keep that real. And so I also went to Vegas as well. Like, um, I went, shit. Before I finished writing the novel, I visited Vegas probably six, six times, maybe maybe seven times. Uh, I've been a total of eight times, I think, to Vegas. So it was like six or seven times because the eighth time I was doing the tour of like places that, you know, happened in the book. What else did I do there? What else did I shoot? Um, Planet Hollywood, I think I filmed in there because that also takes place in the story. Uh, Planet Hollywood is um, scenes in Planet Hollywood. There are scenes in Excalibur. There are scenes in the cosmopolitan um is that it those are the three main hotels that it takes place in of course the whole strip you know what i mean um but like you know where like main focal points are the the um the fountains outside the bellagio anyways they had all of that in the newsstand and so i like i'm like um i don't know i guess i'm like a las vegas file like i i really do enjoy i mean hello i hunter s thompson's fear and loathing in las vegas um been there so many times i've had three book readings in las vegas um um so yeah once at the los angeles arts factory once at the Flippin' freaking frog, flippin' frog. I think it was that. And once at the where was the third one at? It was also on Charleston. Um, I don't think it's there anymore. Oh, I can't remember. The L. It was like a, it was like an art studio and, um, art studio and like dance bar. Um, I don't know if they're open anymore. There are a lot of good places in Vegas. I enjoyed the one place I did not get to go. Well, <laughs> there's a few places I didn't get to go. And I don't know if I ever will get to go because of COVID bullshit. Oh, we didn't even finish talking about COVID bullshit. It's okay. Cause it was making me really sour. Um, it's just, it's stupid. It's just a flu and it's going to kill a lot of people if they take the vaccine. I feel like <sighs> this vaccine, this mutated one, was developed to attack people who has a certain percentage of their telomeres gone. Dun, dun, dun. What does that mean, Michael? What are telomeres? Why are you spinning conspiracy theories on your podcast? <laughs> because I feel like it. Um, telomeres are the ends of what? Like uh, genes or molecules or DNA, the ends of your DNA. And the fewer telomeres you have, the quicker you age. Or when you lose telomeres, you age. So basically, if you preserved them, you'd have them. Now, what if they designed this vaccine to attack people who have a lack 
of telomeres and they die because it seems like only people of certain age are getting this COVID thing and that's not cool and you know my mom is definitely of a certain age I mean this could be something that happens no 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 there are a few people in my family that have circumstances that if they took this shot it could very well be curtains and that does not bode well with me so i am just saying so that we don't have to circle back to it don't take the vaccine um the the president of ghana came out like i said earlier and basically was like this is bullshit they are trying to take the vaccine and he he effectively ended administering vaccines in his country so we need to stop i think that the vaccines may not have been clean from the jump um i think that if there were any sense of righteousness in this world, there'd be a paper trail that shows some sort of communication that would go towards the intent of these individuals. But, you know, this memorandum that the president of Ghana read, because he read it, he didn't just speak, he read the, he read the notification. Um... They had all of their shit, and by they, I mean, like, Bill Gates and all the people who read this, the Rockefellers, it was like, it was like a progress memorandum or whatever. They had all of it figured out, like, they had, they had percentages, they had statistics, they had, uh, you know, course of plan, they had you know, ideas for how to change it in case, like, they needed to, like, backup plans. Like, so, isn't that intent enough, don't you think? Like, to show that... Even in regards to Wuhan and where this would have come from. And I know I'm not confusing this with an episode of South Park. Because their last episode, their last season, the last three episodes were all pandemic based episodes, which I thought were quite entertaining by the by. But in a word, that's besides the point. Um, so COVID is bullshit. It's a flu. It does kill people, but um, of a certain age group. But it's, it's, I mean, come on. Like, it's not, come on, man. It's not the, the common cold or the, the common day flu, I think, I believe still does kill more. But I mean, some places are going through it bad. And then they say there's this second mutation and there's no telling what that is. Um, I think that the president of Ghana read in the Rockefeller memorandum that they even had different variants of the same vaccine. I mean, vaccine, the same um, COVID as well. So Plandemic, they say, to lock down everything and keep us at home and make it like the stand. Like this is supposed to be Captain Trips or what? 
that was the name of the virus in the stand. It was otherwise, like, a very intense, like, version of the bubonic plague that, like, made you all sick and gross. And it made your um, lymph nodes swell so bad and pus swell underneath your chin so bad. Like that. Like, you're like, oh, it's so nasty. So nasty. Anyways, so yeah, the stand, man. It was cool to see it. I got through it pretty quick. Pretty, pretty quick. I gotta say, um... Whoopi Goldberg's bullshit. Not a fan. Not a fan. Her and Joy Bahar can go scissor all night long for all I care. That's what I gotta say about that. Anyways, that was a sad attempt at a Barbie doll joint. Okay, hold on. We are fast approaching an hour. Hold on. Everything seems good here. Okay, so. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by my phone. Um, let's see here. Oh, I know. Watch this. Let's see here. Okay, so what's next? Let's talk about Kingdom of Fur. So I was delighted to read the voice of Huntress Thompson again because I hadn't read it in a minute. Okay. So, um, as I was saying, um, I hadn't read anything from him in a minute and so I was like well I'm going to go ahead and read this again and okay so it was just really good to read the way he oh god I can't believe I'm saying this about him because he created damn freaking snuff films Do you remember how I was talking about in the first Saturday afternoon mimosa with Hunter S. Thompson? It was in the second hour, and I was talking about how supposedly he spills the beans on George W. Bush and the Bush dynasty or the Bush family. And then I said he committed suicide and... Then the book was published after he died. Um, so I didn't know if they actually did spill the beans on the bushes. <laughs> Roll that beautiful bean footage. Or, uh, you know what? Is that Jeb Bush in that commercial with the dog? Roll that beautiful bean footage. Oh my god. Anyways, okay, so... <laughs> Y'all know Bush's baked beans, don't you? Their black beans are actually pretty good. Um, but anyways, so as I was saying in regards to Hunter S. Thompson um, and the book Kingdom of Fear, I was delighted because I knew, I was like, I knew Hunter S. Thompson knew what was going on. So I was delighted, delighted at what I read 
in his open. And before this hour disappears, because I'm going to have to reset for Anchor, because Anchor's little baby and doesn't know let me play it for more than an hour at a time, I'm going to close this hour with a portion of the book that I want to share with you so you can get a sense of Hunter's voice in case I'm not going to like imitate his voice obviously but you should be able to hear it through his writing I think and this delighted me when I read it and I was like oh this is Hunter S. Thompson and this is from his last book okay so this is from his open memo from the sports desk I like this book, and I especially like the title, which pretty well sums up the fond nature of life in the USA in these first few bloody years of the post-American century. Only a fool or a whore would call it anything else. It would be easy to say that we owe it all to the Bush family from Texas, but that would be too simplistic. They are only errand boys for the vengeful, bloodthirsty cartel of raving Jesus freaks and super-rich money-mongers who have ruled this country for at least the last 20 years, and arguably for the past 200. They take orders well, and they don't ask too many questions. The real power in America is held by a fast-emerging new oligarchy of pimps and preachers who see no need for democracy or fairness or even trees, except maybe the ones in their own yards, and they didn't mind admitting it. They worship money and power and death. Their ideal solution to all the nation's problems would be another 100-year war. Coming of age in a fascist police state will not be a barrel of fun for anybody, much less for people like me, who are not inclined to suffer Nazis gladly and feel only contempt for the cowardly flag suckers who would gladly give up their outdated freedom to live for the mess of porridge, pottage they have been conned into believing will be freedom from fear. Ho, ho, ho! Let's not get carried away here. Freedom was yesterday in this country. Its value has been discounted. The only freedom we truly crave today is freedom from dumbness. Nothing else matters. That, my friends, is pure fucking genius. Why the fuck? Did this man, you know, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't there in fucking, um, in, in, uh, in, in, oh, I used to know, I used to know the name Bohemian Grove. I was not at Bohemian Grove, but the victim's accounts. You don't have to believe everything the victim says and people truly are innocent until they're proven guilty. But if there is corroboration, it seems like at some point there was, you know, like that man was a different man. Um, We'll see what it says about the Bush family the rest of the way, because, uh, it was very, it was a very, very good and interesting. It was a very strong open. I was like, wow. I was like, he is going to basically, 
he's basically going to hit this shit right in the balls. Like, the whole war on terror, the whole climate of fear, the whole way that this country has been manipulated in that direction. So it should be a very, very interesting book. Um, very interesting to see what else he might say, because I mean, come on, he committed suicide prior to the book being published. I'm pretty sure some stuff got scrubbed from the final manuscript. Like I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't put it. I mean, come on. If Hunter S. Thompson was going to go out for participating in a child snuff film, who's to say he wasn't going to try and take them all out with him? Who's to say he didn't go behind the lines and ride with the Hell's Angels so that he could actually... I don't know. I can't even speculate, y'all. This is the experience with Michael Aaron Kosterus, and on the experience, you can speculate, but I don't feel like it right now. It's too late. JK. Um, okay, so we're going to do a hard reset on the podcast. Now, for those of you who are watching live, um, you will note that... This will not be on the podcast. If you go back and listen to it at theexperiencepodcast.wordpress.com or you can just go to therootofmanyreturns.com and there's access there as well if you'd like. But this portion will most likely be edited out in the finale. So if you want to catch live and uninhibited experience with Michael Aaron Kosteris, then you better tune in to YouTube. And to do that, you better follow, bitch. Aha, just kidding. Okay. So as I was saying, um, I had a brain fart. No, um, it is the anniversary. Six month anniversary of a documentary called Shadowgate. Dun, dun, dun. Has anybody ever heard of Shadowgate? Like, does anyone really know what time it is? Well, Shadowgate's a movie that came out six months ago. Really? Yes. And it was released, um, it was released by Millie Weaver, otherwise known as Millennial Millie, whom you can visit at millennialmillie.com, honey mama. And um, Shadowgate basically exposes in a very, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like flames, flames coming around my head fire flames of information like it's like it's like a massive dump of information like a massive cyber dump of information it's like a massive massive download of information because 
I went back and I started to rewatch it. And so this is probably like the third and a half time I've seen it. <laughs> I just wouldn't see it right like that many times. Um, and when I started to kind of pick through the information, because there's a lot of information and it goes real quick, like real quick. And, um, when I started to pick through some of it and look at some of like, you know, some of the, the snapshot documentation, uh, because I've never seen the document myself. I can't say for sure that it's not manufactured, but based on the fact that, you know, I've followed the work of Millie Weaver and I've always trusted her work implicitly. I also trust my guts in regards to like some of the information that's being exposed on there and also how that information was reacted to. That's the big one. Um, have not let go of this documentary as being one of the linchpins of knowledge that people must have to understand and retain the understanding of the way the military industrial complex works. Like at its most basic level, this film exposes and explains the military industrial complex in the United States and how it functions worldwide. It doesn't talk to you about its origins, I think if you wanted to know more about the origins of the military-industrial complex, there's some reports on Millie Weaver's uh, YouTube that kind of touch into that, into more of the Eisenhower era United States and army and military and technology and intelligence. There's other reports that Millie Weaver has on her YouTube channel, if she's still there. Uh, guilty for not checking her YouTube channel lately, um, but I, I, I can go to her website and like look there for information. But um, I haven't been to her. I mean, I've, I've seen her. Her videos do come up in my stream, but I, oh yeah, I, I guess it is still there. <laughs> not so guilty. Um, but anyways, so... Uh, but that's what it is, like, when you break it down, because, like, there's so many things that it talks about, like, basically, like, if I'm not mistaking, there's a system to where they can collect all of the data and information, and then there's a separate system that can actually implement um, programs to... Um, affect the behavioral outcomes of individuals based on the data collected. If I'm not mistaken, honey mama, that is Hammer and Scorecard. The Shadownet and... Well, Shadownet's something different. Um, but this, this whole IIA and the way they use interactive... Uh, internet activity or whatever to influence reactionary outcomes or behavioral pattern outcomes or just outcomes in general based on how they've 
mined your data, but not only mined it, but analyzed it, and I guess wargamed it, game planned it. Uh, was it what is that that game thing? Game theoried it to see how you'd react most to it. Um, well, that was created by this dude named Patrick Berge, who is a um, whistleblower in the show Shadowgate. Uh, in the show. Why do we keep saying show? I said show. I said show when we were offline. Sorry, folks on Anchor, but people on YouTube know what I'm talking about. Anyways, so Patrick Berge, like, makes this, and he did it for, if I followed it correctly, um... Well, he did it for the military. And I guess he was... I think he said he was working for General Jones, if not his son at the time. Um, But the company was Dynology. And... They end up... They... Oh, and and with this uh, technology, they were able to do things like influence the Afghanistan elections one year like I think they totally stole it um, because they were able to influence a group of people into seeing a candidate a certain way or do you know and they did that by social media after having gathered all that data now how do they gather the data well that's thanks to um, Snowden and the 702s from the FISA courts um, and in the FISA Act uh, it was the um, amendment to it I believe 702s where they were able to collect data and retain it for 72 hours uh, so that this way it could be you know uh, stored by the NSA and then it's supposed to be dumped well um, John Brennan formerly of the CIA had Snowden build a data bridge from um, the NSA uh, upstream, which is basically the cord that collects all the data or whatever into um, like private servers of like, uh, for example, Jim Jones's company or John Brennan's company or a Canadian company, CGI is what the name of that company was. Uh, Brennan's, uh, no, Brennan's was uh, the analysis group. And also um, then there's CGI, the Canadian, Canadian something international. And uh, there was one other company, but, um, (coughs) excuse me. So Bergie made this, Berge made this like software or whatever that could do all this stuff that that could like um, analyze this data and implement it in a way that you could use it to cause reactions on the internet as a form of a um, what was it called? Uh, Not an intelligence operation um, an, an interference operation or something like that and um well basically um since they privatized it the software they retained like the intellectual property rights to it so this way even though the military paid him to create it with taxpayer money however much that was um they retained it and then they privatized it and they sold it 
publicly. So people were buying this so they could like use it on their own populations or for whatever it is that they wanted to do. Don't know how much this ran. Shadowgate didn't talk about what the retail on hammer and sickle packages. But basically that's what it is. And it was repackaged as hammer and sickle, same product, different label, and sold to the Obama administration who then used it to and i'm pretty i think that's accurate like if if what i'm understanding hammer and sickle is is that then basically obama had that or brennan had that for obama because brennan has been with obama for a long time brennan's been with obama since he was like a senator and then he's the one who talked him up and got him to go running for president and then you know i remember because I was a news hound back then as well. And so I remember, I remember that incident where John McCain, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama, I remember that incident where their, their passports had been hacked or not hacked, but the way they put it is someone had accessed their passports, which back then when I was watching the news, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay, so to me, what that meant in my mind was they accessed their passports, which means they were able to see everywhere they'd been, you know, in their flight history because they accessed their passports. That's what I was assuming it meant. Well, what actually happened apparently was someone took all, took all the data of their passports. Like someone took all the data, all their passport data, just robbed it. And then... After that person had robbed it, someone came in behind them and put data back in. So uh, the question then being, I guess, they they took all of that data, whatever it was, whatever it was on it, whatever it stood for. I don't know. But that's a very interesting story if you think about it. Um, well, allegedly, the individual who did that is one of the whistleblowers in the Shadowgate movie um, or documentary and that is Tori Maris who is the radio show host of the show torysays.com or Tori says excuse me so um you know and uh, here's the deal like I've always believed in trusting your gut and you know first thought right thought you know that kind of thing and so whenever I am combing the news or I am looking at, uh, you know, podcasts or I'm watching talk shows, what they say and the information they give and how they say it, if it doesn't ring right to me or if it doesn't rub me, if it rubs me the wrong way or if it makes me, if my spidey sense goes off. I don't pay attention to it or I don't watch it. The Young Turks is a good example. From day one with the Young Turks, I could not stand them. I could not stand Chunk Yogurt. And I cannot stand that woman. I don't even know what her name is. But she looks like a cunt face and I just cannot stand her. Um, that's just an example, you see. Um, or if someone's giving off information that like, every, say you're, you say people are digging on an issue and someone's giving up information on that and it just doesn't feel right. And, and I, I, I can't even explain to you why it doesn't feel right. It just does not feel right. I just don't listen. I just don't because something in my gut saying that's not right. Now, if there's ever an instance where I'm wrong and there have been 
a few instances, maybe a couple, maybe a couple. No, there's been, there have been times when, you know, I might've been wrong on an issue and I am, I'm not, I am not the prideful kind of person that can't not be like, oh no, it's still this way. The sky is still black, even though it's blue, you know, like that's not the way I roll, you know, like that's not my style. Like I would rather say the correct thing than to be prideful and sound like an idiot, you know? And I think that's what some people don't understand is some people, some people are like that. Some people just have to be right. Some people just have to be right no matter what, you know? Hold on, let me make sure my, my, uh, okay, it's still going. It's, she's still rolling. Um, so people just have to be right no matter what, but that's, like I said, that's not my style. So as I was saying, we were talking about Brennan and we were talking about, um, we were talking about that whole swap thing with the, uh, the passports. Yeah. I remember that cause I used to be a news hound. So it's interesting to me that, um, T- Tori Mares was the one, was one of the people involved in that. And then that was just an example of how Brennan would say that, you know, they would be hacked, but what he, they actually did was they took that information. And I'm assuming that since Brennan was, you know, working for Obama, Obama was in his pocket and Brennan was in CIA at that time, I believe that, um, you know, he just gave them that information. I don't know if it was to blackmail or for what it was for. I mean, I don't, I, I couldn't say what it was for honestly because uh, she didn't say in the film that i saw initially um but um what do you call it um very very interesting um if you really want to know how the industrial company because like i said like as i watched the film more and more and put picked picked it apart more and more um like i was like wow there's like a lot of places it could go for instance um general hayden is someone that I don't think people have um, really focused on as much as they should. Now, General James Jones, he really stuck out to me. Like, Brennan and Jones were the ones that I've been writing the hardest since I saw Shadowgate. Because, like I said, you have these people that are able to use the software to control populations, to to control elections, to, to cause pandemics, to cause riots, because they can study people's behavior based on knowing their data research like like they can search they can research all your data they can do your computer searches your texts your emails your phone calls your television whatever you do in private they know a side of you that no one else knows and as tori has said on her show that most people don't even know of themselves like when she had said that on her show i thought wow like there's an entirely different profile out there of me that shows a thousand percent the kind of person that i am and like i don't even know what that looks like because everything in my life is so compartmentalized and i thought that that was fascinating and that's why i say honey mamas no that's why i say my darling children I don't just live in a glass house. I purchased my house glass <laughs> because I don't know. There's not too much shame in my game, but far be it to say, I, uh, it would be best to have a scandal to sell some books, wouldn't you say? Uh, no, there's nothing, uh, nothing, nothing worth seeing that people would. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So, um, 
what was I saying? Oh yeah, this whole thing. Uh, so the shadow gates, the barrier, yeah, I mean, it's whatever. I mean, you know, if you're going to, okay, all I have to say when it comes to things like that is if whatever you're doing in your personal and private life is something that you would feel bad about if other people knew that you did it, then don't do it. I'm not going to say the opposite of that because then, I don't know, people could blame me for inciting a riot. But just, you should never feel bad about your decisions. If you own up to your decisions and you take responsibility for what was decided, you won't have the anguish of regret. Um, nor will you have the burden of caring about what people think. But it's, it's not our business what people think about us anyways. It's their business. It's their thoughts, their head, their mind. Who gives a damn, right? So anyways, <clears throat> as I was saying, um... I highly recommend people go back and watch Shadowgate. Um, when I was talking about this whole trusting your gut, spidey sense thing, like this, sh the, the documentary came under intense fire. It came under fire in a way that I really feel like it was a catalyst to a very deep change in the way that people understand and trust media because it exposed the shills in the conservative patriot um, media and independent like news and stuff it exposed a lot of the shills when that movie came out um, and some people to this day still don't see it some people to this day still don't see it just like some people to this day still think that Fox is a conservative right right-wing news station and it's not the fox news and cnm they're both the democratic republic republican tv shows like they're the same shit it's just cnn is worse they might be well i was gonna say they might be better now that you know biden is in office because he's a democrat but no it's not i forgot it's already just it's already just as bad like they're like Ooh, excuse me, that's what happens on a chilly Saturday night. The people on CNN are like, Biden had ice cream for breakfast this morning, and he was playing Mario Kart in his basement wearing his jammy jams. Biden's dogs were outside, and his ankles were remarked to be in safe condition. Like, that's CNN right now. And, or if not, they're saying, we'll circle back to it. That was a running gag for tonight. Shadowgate came under a lot of fire, as I was saying. Shadowgate, um, Shadowgate, okay, so Millie Weaver wins a competition and joins 
Infowars back in 2012. Did a whole bunch of reports. I used to be an info warrior back then. I started listening to Infowars probably like in 2006 or so, maybe at the latest 07. And um, then I stopped listening probably around, I wanted to say it was around 13 or 14, but it was actually around 15 or 16 when I stopped watching. It was because it was during the presidential election. I, I saw the episode live when President Trump went on Infowars and talked to Alex Jones. I was watching that day. Um, but whenever Hillary Clinton called him out as being a dog hot, that's when things went started to go south for him. Apparently, Tory was on that show um, on Infowars. I don't remember seeing her, so I am pretty sure that by the time she got on Infowars, I had stopped watching um, and listening to Infowars. Now, as the story goes, from what I understand in all of it, Tori, I guess, had been on the show as I found out later on, but Tori was looking for a way to um, be a whistleblower and give out the information that she had. She couldn't do it herself, from what I understand, and I don't you know, this is really not my story to tell. So I really should just not, I'm not trying to gossip, but I'm telling you the story of Shadowgate and why I, I, if I'm getting this right, why this had gone down the way it went down. But she, she, she couldn't report it herself because something had happened in, in the past recent past that had kind of like, um, not, not, not marred her name or like it drug her name through the mud or something like that, but something that not discredited, but for some reason she couldn't drop the story herself. And so I I'm guessing that's when she found or met Millie Weaver and she trusted her as a reporter to deliver this information. I'm guessing Millie Weaver is the one that she was speaking about in this situation. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I think I'm doing a fair job at explaining this. I don't think you can pull the Einstein line on me here of not understanding what you're talking about if you can't explain it. But so then Millie Weaver gets arrested and you have to understand the Shadowgate talks about the military industrial complex. It explains a big chunk of how it works. Um, for example, it's all rotating like uh Brennan went from CIA and then working with Obama and then back into the CIA and then into like these private companies, the Analysis Corporation, um, um, the Analysis Corporation, uh, Global Analytics um, and stuff like that. And they were collecting the data illegally from the um, data bridge that Snowden had built and they privatized it and they were selling it. They were researching it. They, they, they could do whatever they want. So basically it's illegal. You can't, that's, that's worse than spying. Like the government had been spying with the NSA for the longest time until Michael Hayden came under fire. And he's the one I kind of poked around into Hayden because, um, I was like, God, oh, like who is Hayden? Oh, Hayden was in charge of the CIA. Oh, Hayden was in charge of the NSA. Oh, Hayden was involved in a lot. What was he doing now? Well, recently he had been, recently he had had a very severe stroke, 
But prior to that stroke, he had been serving on the board of Motorola. And uh, there are three other companies, but one of them stood out. And I think the name of that company was Caliburn. Let me arm myself with my mouse. Okay. Because... Um, yeah, Caliburn International was, was a, a business, a private contracting business that he stood on the board of. Now, all of these things that he stood have government contracts. Now, that's the thing that you have to remember. All these people work in government contracts. So when we say military industrial complex, what we mean is they were in the military, they're retired, retired generals, and they make their own private businesses and consulting firms, whether it's like, you know, um, a defense contracting, like they deal in weapons or they, they make, uh, you know, our artillery or arms or their, uh, um, they, they specialize in like top secret file management or stuff like that. So that's what they do. And then they make these companies and then they're out of the military and then they go back into the government and they get contracts with the government to run these operations for them instead of, so the government doesn't actually have agencies that handle these things. They subcontract it out to private businesses and most of these businesses are run by previous heads of intelligence or previous generals and stuff like that and that is the military industrial complex that's what this movie explains so um you have hayden who's involved in all of these subcontracts so he has this one called caliburn international caliburn international um Caliburn International is a professional services provider that was, was it says here, is headquartered in Reston, Virginia. Basically, um, they ran, um, they, they ran a, they ran a facility in South Florida. And the facility was called Homestead Temporary Child Shelter for unaccompanied children and it closed um for a little while and it reopened in 2018 and then closed again um it had over 4,000 kids run through it during the obama administration um I could only find one story that talked about uh, sexual abuse, um, but this is this is insane. And then, like, there was this one uh, thing I was reading about it where, like, they were doing uh, an inspection of the station, and they actually had like the senators going through, legislators went through there uh, because there were protests because they were like separating children, which is yeah, obviously, but like I'm thinking bigger picture. Because this was run by a military contractor, a child unaccompanied shelter for uh, unaccompanied a shelter for unaccompanied children, like, and um, it's just it's it's preposterous to me. Like, whenever they had some inspectors going in one time, like the last time, like in this one story, they're talking about how they had like x amount of children there, and within thirty days, like 
over a thousand of them disappeared and the legislators were like well where did they go like how did how did a thousand children just disappear in the last three or four years you haven't been able to move children at all or they don't move that fast and they were saying that some of them were taken uh well some of them were returned to family some of them went with new family some of them went to different um different like uh detention centers or shelters so that's insane like and then it does say uh in the article also that president trump had been trying to get caliburn to get the contract for this homestead open again this is in florida that uh hayden's place was running before um and like i just i just feel like there's something to that you know um i feel like there's something here um, like what if Caliburn runs some major operations? Like that's something that I would kind of think about a little bit, or if there were a way for me to find out more information on that or dig any deeper on Caliburn, I would, because it seems like if they were running this, this detention center, this shelter for unaccompanied children, and they would have thousands disappear, um, in 30 days. And like that, that's, that's, that's cause for concern if you ask me, but they were talking about how Trump was trying to get them to get the contract to open this place up again in, uh, I guess 2020 2019 um and that that was uh that kind of made people raise an eyebrow but what i really think to be honest with you is that if trump were trying to get a contract back into these people people's hands it was so they could observe their operations and see what hayden's group caliburn was doing with these people but um there's some other um there's some others in Los Fresnos, Brownsville, and San Benito, unaccompanied children shelters. San Benito, Brownsville, and Los Fresnos. And they're trying to open up one here again um, in, I think it's uh, Carrizo Springs. So that's just something to be on the aware of that I found while watching the Shadowgate. So I'm saying like there's a lot of information in Shadowgate. There's a lot more information that I'm going to go looking into. Um, it was it was interesting going into and Hayden. And, you know, the funny thing about it is that, like I said, people came down on this movie hard, this documentary. They started slinging mud. Um, Caitlin, the girl gun gun girl, um, she just totally her shill face came out like i feel bad for her because i think she has really good intentions but i think i think the the jones crew talked her into it or maybe maybe ollie Akbar has blackmail on her too i mean maybe that's why she talks shit about millie weaver um i've i've always i've always liked millie's reporting i've always trusted it um, I've never felt it to rub me wrong. Um, there were times Caitlyn's did, and there were times that it seemed like they were competing with each other, like, uh, for the same types of, uh, of interviews and stunts that they would do and stories that they would report on. So I thought that was interesting too. But Millie got arrested. Um, they tried to take her children. Tori's name got wrung through the mud, um, Patrick Bergie, I don't know if he really got attacked as much as just people saying that he wasn't really who he said he was. But like I said, these are whistleblowers. So obviously they can't be like, you know, 
obviously people can't know all about them um anyways the worst part about it is that people didn't even watch the movie they just took the word of alex jones for it whenever they were talking about this um shadowgate film and how it exposes military industrial complex and he claimed that it's because Millie said that Roger Stone was involved in trying to bring down Trump, which I don't believe is the case. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know the whole inside baseball about everything that's going on there. All I know is that Alex Jones has shown himself for the shill that he is. Alex Jones has shown himself to be compromised. And I don't believe him anymore. I don't believe the man. I'm sure he started with good intentions, but something happened. And his intentions have been usurped by whatever it is that happened. Um, but like I said, that's just some of what I've like, like uncovered in going through this and really understanding the whole i mean that is hammer and sickle and you know i'm re-watching it and re-watching it like i said the anniversary is today it's only been six months but no one ever talks about it anymore no one brings it up there was a part two and i'm gonna watch that again as well i don't know if and when part three is gonna come out but it i had thought it would have been out already but i guess we have to wait for certain things to play out in certain ways for us to understand but it sounds like it goes all the way to the top y'all it sounds like some people in it sounds like Sounds like some people in the media, in the news, in the entertainment industry are going to go down pretty hard, including people that we never would have thought would. But it's very interesting to see that in this timeline, how things like that happened. But go see Shadowgate. Look it up if you can. Go support Millie Weaver. Go support ToriSays.com. Um, you don't need to hear me say it. They already have, like, they can get their support on their own. But from the bottom of my heart... I have come to trust them very much so. Um, as long as my spidey senses don't go off, we're good. And I've already talked ad nauseum about how I, uh, how that came to be with me and Alex Jones. So if you really want to know, just go back and the episode. Um, I think it's like episode number 12. I also clipped out a little bit of it too, but anyways all right ladies and gentlemen it was a fun time talking to you tonight i'm glad you hung out with me on the saturday evening chill session with the experience with michael aaron caceres we'll see you guys on the flip side send me some love send me some support go to the root many returns.com buy my books buy it from your favorite bookseller go to the experience podcast.wordpress.com send me some cash app love send me some paypal donation love I need it so I can get some more cords and some more supplies and keep this operation rolling. We'll see you guys on the flip side. I hope y'all enjoy it for now.